Father, we know that you are the ultimate dad. You are the ultimate one who cares for us. You give us instruction. You show us neither to turn to the right nor to the left, but keep our eyes steadfast on you. And I pray for the fathers, a difficult job it is, Lord, especially in our day and age, as it has always been for all fathers throughout time. And we would ask that you would provide for us wisdom beyond our years to guide our children and grandchildren. And if we have the fortunate event happen of having our great-grandchildren around while we are, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be good fathers, to be loving fathers, full of grace, knowing what is right and wrong, communicating that to the next generation. And when things are tough, Lord, I pray that you would give these fathers perseverance, endurance, and again, wisdom above all else, for we know that that is supreme. So, Father, as we get into your word this morning, we ask that you would guide and direct. We pray that you would fill us full of your spirit and understanding that not only the fathers here might benefit, but all who listen either online or here in the sanctuary. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Paul was a father to the Thessalonians, and he had some final words that he decided to put down in a letter to them. And what would you say if you're addressing somebody for the last time? Well, we have this in, in chapter 3 specifically. In Second Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul is addressing the believers in the church of Thessalonica as if he might have his last opportunity. And in this chapter, he extends a request, an exhortation, and a blessing. So in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not everyone has faith. So he has two requests here. The first one that the gospel would spread rapidly and be honored and secondly for deliverance from wicked and evil. This means actively malicious men. So the primary goal for all of us, and this is the great commission that we are given in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through the end of the chapter, that we are to go and make disciples. <clears throat> in other words, we have to have the information under our belt. We have to have the scriptures, a knowledgeable working uh, use of the scriptures that we can give it to somebody else. And we need to, I believe, always have somebody that is ministering to us and always minister to someone else, always give instruction to them what the Lord's will is and we need to also maintain a burden for the lost not just simply maintain relationships but if we have relationships with those who are not saved whether they are quote-unquote good people or not good people we want to make sure that we have a burden for them that they have salvation and salvation that leads to eternal life there is no other type of salvation but we want to make sure that they focus on christ himself now we grow to hate the practices of the next generation. Have you noticed that? I remember growing up, and it was time when the uh, Beatles, you know, they had become real popular, and, and the Rolling Stones, and their hair was beyond their ears, and my dad had a crew cut uh, sometimes, and then it was Brill Cream with the Wave, and we all had the crew cuts, and then we had the Brill Cream with the Wave, and we started to want to grow our hair longer, and, and my dad would call it a mop is what it get that mop cut is what he would tell us you know and so that generation didn't like our generation the way that we were growing up with the longer hair <clears throat> and also the music you know you go from the music in the 50s music in the 50s it was always happy 
Always something to just like snappy and you'd get the snapping your fingers to and tapping your feet and it was great. And then it headed into the 60s and you had that at the beginning of the 60s. And then it was the war and, and then Peter, Paul and Mary and, you know, all those people came along and it just kind of took a downturn and you heard some of that stuff and people love Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and the Stones. And, and then it started turning into rap and i remember when rap came in i thought to myself you call this music and the metal music which was out there and the screaming and we i think you've heard me say we had a mosh pit over at the other building and we had a a christian band that was a heavy metal band and when they were singing you couldn't even understand the words they were unintelligible but the kids just loved it and the washing machine mosh pit was going and it, it was quite a spectacle and I thought and they liked this music and and the next generation that's coming up is not going to like the music of the generation after that they'll say something like it it lacks meaning or it's just so repetitious and it just goes on and on I found myself doing that with um uh, worship music this last week I was listening uh, on my phone to the Psalms and you go through the Psalms and it's just a bunch of praises to God and I remember when I became a Christian that's what they did Tommy Coombs <clears throat> the praise band they had a lot of worship songs out of the Psalms and as the, the songs are being read I could pick out the songs that we used to sing all the time the scripture songs that are there. Psalm 121, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? And give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. And all those were songs. And there's a ton of them in there. And the songs today, you know, there are some good ones like this Highlands. I like that song. It's a good song. But there's some music out there that is just real verbose. It's real wordy. And I'm just going, I just... It's hard for me to get into it. You know, it's really not worship. It's, it's something else, but it's not worship, and, and it's tough. And I'm lamenting, what, where were the simple praise courses? But music changes over time. And we have a tendency not to like the practices of the next generation, like music and dress. <clears throat> Remember growing up, <clears throat> at least for men, fathers, sons, we would have these genes and you either had Levi's or you had Lee's or you had Wrangler jeans. And when the knees wore out, what did your mom do? She grabbed, no, she grabbed the patch, the iron patch, and she put the patch over the holes in the knees. Now when you go to buy jeans, they better have holes in the legs, and that's the style which is out there. And you think, I could have done that, you know, just take a tool to it, and I could have all kinds of holes in those pants, and it would be fashionable, it would be great. But we look at the new fashions which are out there and we think, really? That's fashionable. Not only that, but the price they're paying for the holy jeans, and I don't mean sanctified, the holes in the jeans, the, the price that costs you a full day's wages, you know, for some of these kids which are out there. And so, so you see how we get a little cynical and hot means cool. Remember that? Oh, so hot. You mean cool. No, cool used to be the word for hot but now hot means cool and and gay doesn't mean happy and groovy and out of sight are terms that are unfamiliar to the next generation when i'm teaching the youth i have to check and make sure do you guys know like like something random do you know who richard nixon was and who you know they're just they're, they're not up in step with what was in the past they just live 
in the moment. And, and so we have this gospel that needs to go out and it needs to be honored, but the gospel is thousands of years old. And the generations today, I heard there's only 9% of Gen Z that actually attends church now. And, and you're thinking, why are the kids moving away? They think it's passe. They think it's not truthful and it doesn't matter what truth is. Truth is only what you want it to be. And if it works for you, that's great. It's not universal in its scope. <clears throat> but the deliverance of the gospel and how it must be relevant, that's what we are supposed to be after, making it relevant to the next generation, passing it on. And this is Paul's prayer that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored not dishonored. Now, his second request here for deliverance from wicked and evil, as I said before, actively malicious men. Now, in context here, this is from both believers and unbelievers. I think we can start out with the unbelievers. Not everyone has faith to believe and not everyone has the conviction that God exists or that Jesus is the Messiah or even having the conviction that there is truth in anything, absolute truth. The world is being taught that there is no absolute truth. I don't know if you've seen the clips. I haven't seen the uh, uh, the presentation yet of Matt Walsh, What is a Woman? And <clears throat> I, I think it's on the, the Daily Wire website, and you can go there and watch it. But he was interviewing, this clip that I saw, he is interviewing a Tennessee professor. And he asked the question, he just wanted to know, quote, the truth, what is a woman? And the professor at the Tennessee University responded by being threatened and says that the question sounds deeply transphobic. That he didn't even want to get to the truth of what a woman was. He asked another person, a clip that I saw, uh, could you define what a woman is without using the word woman? And there was just silence. There was silence for like 30 seconds. Couldn't define what a woman was without using the word woman. Of course, that's circular reasoning there. It's begging the question. <clears throat> and the person was not able to do it. We know that women have a different DNA set than men. I, I mean, that's just it. And the physical makeup of the man is different than the woman and there are two genders there are not more than two genders but the world would like to take that truth break it apart where there is no truth and they would do so in a malicious fashion now you know the gay movement it used to be we just want to be together and why can't you guys just honor us if we want to be in a married relationship and people were saying it's a slippery slope this will end up leading to things that we don't want to go to and of course it has now it's the transgenders and now it's the multigenders and now it's using different pronouns for everybody and the truth that we used to know is changing and I think everybody from the previous generation is looking at this saying this is not good this is not truth and that's the whole object I believe that this is on purpose now there were some who they um, were in opposition to Paul one was the sorcerer Elimus from the city of Paphos, and he tried to turn Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, on the island of Cyprus away from the Christian faith. And of course, Paul in Acts chapter 13 is where it begins around verse 8, and it goes on through uh, a large portion of the chapter there. What Paul did was turn to him, confronted him, and because he confronted him, a curse came upon him, and he was blinded 
because of that. Of course, I think that this added to the faith of Sergius Paulus after he was blinded because of that. But there are those who would oppose Paul. Not only did this sorcerer Elimus oppose Paul, but the Jews opposed Paul in Acts chapter 18, verse 6. It says, but when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility and now I will go to the Gentiles. And also 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9 in Ephesus, there are many who oppose me, Paul said. So he would get opposition from everyone. And you guys know the story about the apostle Paul and how people would just go against him whenever he opened his mouth. Now, Paul wasn't a violent man, <clears throat> but these people were being actively malicious against him and tried to kill him. Remember once he was stoned and left for dead and he, not resurrected, but I think resuscitated, the Lord brought him back to life, said, you're not done yet. And, you know, if you get hit with a rock, have you guys ever been hit with a rock? I remember in elementary school, <clears throat> me and a couple other guys, we'd throw rocks at each other on purpose on the playground. It ended with me getting stitches in my head and blood going all over my eyes. And it was a, a terrible thing. But we would throw rocks at each other. And, but there's people who metaphorically will throw rocks at you to try to injure you, to try to keep you quiet, to shut you up, so to speak, if you want to give the gospel. And there are Christians who are being attacked all over the world. There are more people who have died in Christendom in this century than all other centuries put together. Right now, according to this 2022 World Watch list in their reporting period, 5,898 Christians are killed for their faith, 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings attacked, and 4,765 believers detained without trial, arrested, and sentenced or imprisoned. And this is happening all over the world. And not just in the third world countries. And we know in Canada, there's a pastor who keeps on getting thrown into prison for what he's doing there. So there is a description of those who are in opposition to the gospel. And this is in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, but mark this, and this is referring to the time in which we live. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves or narcissistic, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to the truth or acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected, but they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Now, Janus and Jambres are reported to be the two magicians that opposed Moses. You know, they did the snake thing, and Moses' staff ate the two snakes of Janus and Jambres, and it's reported that they went on the exodus with Moses and they were the ones stirring up the people and we need to return to Egypt and they were opposing Moses left and right and we will find out that the Lord said have nothing to do with such people we also have in 2nd Timothy 4:14 Alexander the metal worker who did a great deal of harm to Paul and we see 
Example after example of how people were opposed. Even the Apostle John in 3 John verse 9, Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. And he was gossiping maliciously about Paul and his companions and refuses to welcome the brothers. And he also stops those who want to do so. And imagine that, that people would oppose the gospel and those who give the gospel. So those are the unbelievers. Well, what about believers? Paul told us in Philippians that there were those who preach the gospel out of envy and strife against Paul. And Paul said, you know, it doesn't matter as long as the gospel is getting out there. But they would oppose Paul. And we know in Thessalonica, letters were coming reportedly to come from Paul, usurping his position as apostle. And there's opposition always coming. And it is something that we just simply have to get used to. And if you want to follow Christ and you want to Uh, be his disciple and you want to talk about him in short if you just want to open your mouth about jesus you will be opposed people will say would you just stop with the jesus thing would you just not talk about him anymore and so the bottom line is for us if we get opposition now it's predicated on the belief that you're going to open your mouth sometime you're going to say something to someone you're going to encourage them i even had a, a conversation Yesterday, with a young man, and this young man, he he told me that he was witnessing to his family. Now, this guy is a really young believer. He was witnessing to his family and to his younger sister, and the father he thinks maybe is a Christian, but they were both opposing him when he was talking to them about the gospel. And, of course, it always turns to an ad hominem attack. Well, who do you think you are now? You stopped all this bad behavior because you think you're Mr. Goody Two-Shoes? What's the deal with that? And so he was getting opposition from his family. And, of course, we get that. I have got that from my family when I got saved. They wanted to give them the gospel. They didn't want to hear it. Don't tell me about your Jesus. And okay, if you don't want me to tell you, it's just like Paul, you shake off the the dust on your clothes, so to speak. In a more metaphorical sense, you don't sit there and just in your face, well, fine, I'm leaving, I'm done with you. You don't want to do stuff like that. You want to maintain the uh, avenue of conversation. But you're going to be blessed when you are cursed because you follow Christ. Christ will reward you for that. And Romans uh, chapter 12 verse 14 says, but those who persecute you, bless them and do not curse. Now that's tough to bless somebody who just wants to be in your face or just is in opposition towards you. So those are the two prayers of Paul, whether it is the gospel being effective and being honored or pray against those who would seek to stop the gospel out there, protect them, uh, because their very lives are in danger at that point. And we're going to go on to verse 3 here. It says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So this is an exhortation. Like, keep it up. Keep the good work going. The Lord will strengthen you. And God blesses his people and reminds them of their responsibilities to obey the commands that were previously delivered. Well, what did Paul deliver in these two letters? I have a list of 23 things that he delivered in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Here they are. Avoid sexual immorality. Love each other with brotherly love. 
Respect those who work or who work hard among you. Live in peace with each other. Warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Do not repay evil for evil. Be kind. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything and hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Stand firm in the faith. Hold to the teachings passed on to them, the Thessalonica Thessalonica church that were delivered by Paul and company. Keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. And also he said, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Paul urged the idle to earn the bread that they eat and never tire of doing what is right. So all of those things he delivered to the church in Thessalonica. Because either they weren't doing those things or they were lacking. And he just wanted to make sure they understood this is what the Lord requires. Now in verse, excuse me, in verse 6 it says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we command you, this is an imperative, brothers to keep away or abstain from associating with from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Now, this idle, the word, you would think it's just they're not doing anything. It's like a car idling. That's not what it means. It means it's a military term that if you have these ranks of soldiers and they're marching in step with each other and you have one guy that's fallen out of the rank and he's just kind of going back and forth and walking this way, he's not marching with the rest. That's what idle means. He is doing something but it's not doing or he's not doing what everybody else in the columns and rows is doing. Like I said, it's a military term. Verse 7 says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. <clears throat> we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. So Paul and his companions, they had a right to receive food and or an income from the Thessalonica church, as in First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18 says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are well worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. So Paul could have taken advantage of that, but he set an example for all the believers in the church at Thessalonica not to do that, not to take advantage. Verse 10 says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he will not eat. And that's for the people in the church. He's telling the people in the church, look, if you're not working, you're not going to have any food either. Nobody's going to give you any food. We hear that some among you are idle. Uh, Same word, that they're out of step with the rest of the command, the rest of the legion or whoever's marching. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him. In other words, withdraw and keep away from him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now, this would seem pretty harsh. In in today's society, 
If you make somebody feel ashamed, you are sinning. If you make somebody feel like they are doing the wrong thing, you are a bad person. And here Paul is saying, if somebody in the church, if they are idle, if they're not paying attention to the teaching, the 23 things that I just gave you, he says, make them feel ashamed. Now, I look at that and I go, wow, that's, that's tough. How do you make somebody feel ashamed? And what does it mean, really, to make somebody feel ashamed? It is where you take the individual, you talk to them, and they do an inward focus, and they realize the error they've committed, the sin they have committed, and it should engender a feeling of guilt or bad. Now, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can yell at them, point your finger at them, you ought to feel ashamed of yours. What's wrong? You know, something like that. You could do that. Or you can just explain the facts. These are the facts. This is what you did. And you know, you shouldn't feel good about this. This is something that is not good in your life. And you need to turn around from it. I'm going to tell you a story. There is this wildly popular musician who was out there. And he was talking about when he was young. He was talking about his father. They were at a little league game. And prior to the Little League game, he had had his bike stolen. And they went to the Little League game, and he was playing there, or he was either watching one of his brothers or sitting there. I don't know which it was, but he said he told his father he recognized his stolen bike at the, the ball field. And so the father, <clears throat> he looked at the bike, and he said, we're going to wait for the kid to come over to the bike. And so the kid went over to the bike, the father got up and walked over to him. Now, as fathers, what would you do? Have you thought, I thought about what I would do. You know, what, what, you, hey, pay attention. Something like that. What would I do? What if his father was there or some family member was there? How would I handle it? Would I say nothing? Would I just take back the bike? This is not yours and walk away? Would I do something like that? Well, this <clears throat> very popular singer, he had his father. His father went over. He talked to the boy for about 30 minutes just stood there and talked to him he ended up loading the, the bike in the truck gave the boy a ride home to his house and let him go inside he never discussed or he never said in his testimony about this what the father said but the father apparently was not railing on the kid just trying to give him some direction what to do what was wrong with what he did I'm sure the boy felt ashamed after being confronted like that. And that just spoke to me a lot of wisdom. It's like, wow, that, that's probably how we should handle that as well. And so apparently there were those in the body that refused to work and earned their keep, so to speak. The majority had failed to enforce this particular standard. Remember, we have to have the context of what's going on. They felt that the day of the Lord was on them. They had missed the rapture. There were some people that were thinking, well... Why should I even work? The day of the Lord is here. It's almost done. I shouldn't have to continue, but they were lacking food. And so people in the body felt they were being merciful and would give them food. And Paul said, stop it. Do not give them food. They need to be working. Now, in 1 Timothy 5.11, it says, 
As for the younger widows, do not put them on such a list for their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ and they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle. And this particular word idle means lazy. And going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to do. So I counsel younger widows to marry and have children and manage their homes and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. So what's being talked about here, both in Thessalonians and in First Timothy, is we're supposed to be busy. We're not supposed to have a lot of idle time. Now, that's easy to do today, especially if you have a cell phone, smartphone, It's easy to be idle. Just next time you're out, look at all the people on their phones, even as they're walking. Have you seen the people that are walking with their cell phones? One woman I saw, she was walking and she fell into a fountain as I was watching it on my cell phone doing nothing. But but she fell into a fountain because she wasn't paying attention. Another person fell into a hole in the ground. Another person in a shop, it was like a Jiffy Lube shop, fell into the pit where they changed the oil because they were not paying attention. They're looking at the phone. Just idle time. You know, have you ever heard the colloquialism, idle hands are the devil's workshop? You know, it's probably true. And we need to make sure we're not having a lot of idle time, a lot of downtime. We should be productive. We should be about the Lord's business. That is certainly true. Now, also, there are other passages that deal with disassociating from fellow believers, not having anything to do with them. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, all the way through verse uh, 13. And it talks about those who are sexually immoral inside the church, that we're not supposed to have anything to do with them. If they're living with their partner, I think the proper course is to talk to them uh, in a stern but gentle fashion and say, you know, you've got to change this behavior. And if they refuse to change the behavior, you have to ask them to leave. You have to ask them to disassociate yourself with the members of the body. But the way churches are going today, it's like, no, let's just keep them here for a while. You know, let's just work on it. And I I think that we're supposed to, as soon as we find out, we deal with those issues. And that's all for the sake of purity inside the church. And so actions and purposes against the idol and this We are not to include unbelievers. If somebody comes into the church and they are an unbeliever and they're carrying out all these behaviors that Paul said we should do, they're doing just the opposite. If that's the case, let them sit and hear the gospel. If you've heard me say this before, if somebody comes into the church and they're transgender and they're sitting down, now I don't know that we'll have that. We actually had one person one time come in that was transgender and sat down, but they never came back. But the idea is, let's talk. Let's have a conversation about this. You know, let's see what the Lord has to say. Not what I will or what you will, but what does God want? And the people that are erring like that, we are supposed to gently lead them into the field of being ashamed. And that being ashamed is good. Guilt is something that benefits us unless it just turns into depression. That's not the good thing, and we want to prevent that. But we want them to have the introspection where they're saying, you know, this, this is not good. I have sinned against myself. I have sinned against God. 
I need to change this particular behavior, you're right. And that's how people should receive it. Most of the time, in today's day and age, they do not. And they become hostile against any type of instruction along those lines. And the goal is to bring them to repentance and to act properly, always being carried out in the spirit of love. And Paul left an example of how to be industrious and also correct people in love. And he's doing that all the way through the first and second book to the Thessalonians. Now, these deeds of darkness, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So there's people inside the church, a couple of verses I gave you already, that they are involved in acts that are dark. They're involved in things that are contrary to the teaching which Paul said, just encourage the Thessalonica church, stick with these things. These are good. Have nothing to do with the opposite, which are the fruitless deeds of darkness. Now, what would some of those deeds be, especially in our day and age? I, I think one uh, that is becoming more and more prevalent, and just wait till the next election, you'll see it everywhere, is violence. There's going to be a lot of violence coming up in the next election, and it's continuing. Uh, things like abortion and gen- gender-bending behavior, that, that is just becoming prominent. On the way here to church, we saw a... Uh, gender bending flag uh, that was on Julian Avenue. It's like a, it's just kind of everywhere. And, and down there's two places on Julian Avenue where you'd see the gay flag and the gender bending flag and the transgender flag. Uh, we want to make sure that we are being a witness to them, not pointing the fingers. They're certainly unbelievers if they have that. And we could give them the gospel and see if they want to hear it. And if they don't, well, okay, you can go on and go to the next person. But also there is this idea, I think something of darkness is the avoidance or the suppression of truth. There are things that are absolutely truth for all time, for all generations, in all cultures worldwide. For instance, it's always wrong in all cultures to murder. You can't just wantonly take somebody's life. Uh, Force equals mass times acceleration. It is a law. It is an absolute truth. It will always end up in destruction. If you have a car, the force equals the mass times the acceleration. It's going to be destruction if you're in a car. Gravity is a law. It doesn't change. It's absolute truth. And you'll have some people who are just sarcastic. Well, if I had an anti-gravity belt, you know, just let's deal with reality here. We don't have to go on these tangents. There's reality that we live with. If you go long enough, you're going to have to sleep. There may be one or two exceptions in the world of people that don't have to sleep, but it's an absolute truth. You have to sleep. If you don't sleep, you're going to die early and probably really quickly if you don't get enough sleep over a couple months period. And, And so calling good evil and evil good. There is good that is absolute and there is evil that is absolute. Sexual immorality, it is absolutely wrong outside of the context of marriage to be involved in a sexual relationship. Or uh, how about being voluntarily unemployed and being reliant on others when you're able to work? Something like that. That's an absolute truth. Paul lays down and said, no, I command, and remember it's the imperative, I command you guys who are believers to be working. Now, if you're retired, that's great. You're, you're not reliant on anybody else. That's wonderful. But he's talking about the people who just refuse to work. What are you supposed to do with those people? Disassociate from them. And say, you know, I love you as a brother, but I'm not going to allow you to get along with this. And I'm not going to be supplying you food day in and day out. 
Could you imagine having somebody show up all the time to your house? Dinner time. I smelled the food cooking. I'm, I'm here. They knock on your door and they want to come in and sit down. And Oh, thanks. What if they did it every night? That's where fathers come in. Husbands, and they say, uh, sorry, not tonight. And they close the door gently. And I've learned how to do that. I had some solar salesmen come up to me. Uh, they knocked on the door. And I could hear them outside just talking back and forth. And they just wanted to keep on going. And I go, no, that's okay, thanks. And I shut the door. You know, and you can do that with people. And some people are going to be offended by that. That's not your problem. We want to make sure that we are conducting our lives in such a way that we have a standard of right and wrong, we're living up to that, and when we do, we're going to be persecuted. That, that's just the way the world is going. Now, what possible benefit could there be from making somebody feel ashamed? Well, as I said before, being ashamed, it's to turn inward on oneself in introspection. That means to have a personal feeling that one has committed a great offense and should feel terrible because of it. That's what God is telling us through the Apostle Paul here to the church of Thessalonica. <clears throat> it may restore a sinner. Somebody who's going astray, if you go to them and you handle it the proper way, they could feel ashamed, they could repent, they could turn from that and you would restore a sinner to his proper standing with God. Secondly, it will keep the rest of the body from being polluted. And we know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that this idea of uh, yeast and, and malice inside the body of Christ, it has to be weeded out. If somebody comes into this church or any other church and all they want to do is complain about everything, you know, it's too cold, it's too hot, there's too much light, there's not enough light, uh, coffee's wrong, the donuts are not right, uh, whatever the case might be, they, they just want to complain, the person needs to be warned about that. And two times that, after that have nothing to do with them. Say, hey, maybe there's another fellowship you'd like to go to. And, and some people, they take offense at that. Aren't we just supposed to love? That is being loving is where you tell somebody your attitude is not right, the things you're saying is not right, you're sowing dissension among the body, that's not right, you know, all these other behaviors that you're involved in, and you just want to gently, in love, go to them, but be firm and say, you know, this ought not to be the case. And this idea of yeast, you know, yeast in the body, it just works through the whole body uh, and it becomes a problem. And we've had this over the years from time to time and we've had to deal with it and and it's effective when you deal with it. When you don't deal with it, it just becomes like a cancer. It just kind of keeps on growing. So if others choose to be idle, some may say, well, I think I'll do what they're doing and follow that line of reasoning. Or if there's resentment that may run deep in somebody's life, that resentment could change. Uh, one of my first jobs that I did, I got $5 an hour. And I was riding a golf cart around an apartment complex and I would work inside the apartments and I would fix things inside the apartments. Dishwashers, garbage disposals, electric, stuff like that. I'd do painting, just all kinds of handyman work. And the guy, his name was Bob. Bob would fix things. Maybe you've heard this story before, but he would fix things. And when they wouldn't do things just right, like he'd use a flathead screwdriver and the flathead screwdriver would slip he would cuss at the item. 
I found myself starting to do that. Where if, well, you, and you, you cuss at the because it wasn't, it's an inanimate object. But I was hanging around him. He was showing me how to fix things. And so not only was I picking up the skill, but I was picking up his attitude as well. And, of course, after I became a believer, that was so stupid. Why am I yelling at the garbage disposal? It's only doing what its nature is. And, you know, so I was the one that needed to change on that. And, and, but behavior is contagious. Have you ever been around somebody that is just bubbly with personality? My son, he goes surfing almost every day. And he went out uh, this one particular morning. And there was this, if I can say this correctly, this man of color who was going out surfing. Now, normally you don't see men of color. He was a black guy going out surfing. You don't normally see that. But this guy was at the top of his game. People would take waves, and he'd start hooting for them. All right, man, that was rad. You know, he's just saying stuff like that out in the water. Everybody in the water is just turning and looking at this guy, and he's so happy, and he's so bubbling over. And my son started talking to him. He goes, hey, man, what, what's up? What's your story? He goes, oh, man, I just love Jesus. And my son goes, really? And my son said, I don't want to hang out with that guy. You know, he's just so happy and positive all the time. And out there in the water, it just made the whole experience better. And it was contagious. My son's going, that's a, that's a great guy. And he was a believer, you know. And I'm going, all right, listen to him. Go to church with him, you know, whatever you need to do. And, and so that kind of behavior can be contagious. And we're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be contagious. We're supposed to be like the salt. You know, you put salt on food, oh, it just makes it taste all that much better. And when we get around people who are unbelievers, we want to be like that salt. We want to make life a little more pleasant for them. And remember, when we're doing this, Paul told us if we're correcting somebody or bringing instruction to them, and it's causing them to feel ashamed, that's all good, but that is for the church. It is not for those outside the church, as I previously explained. I just wanted to double down on that explanation. Or if there's gossiping. You know, gossiping, Scripture uh, describes gossiping as a tasty morsel. Uh, I think it's the... Lion, witch, in the wardrobe, the little candy. What's the candy called? Um, I forget the name of it, but it was um, just tasty. You just taste it and your mouth starts watering and, and it, it's all good. That's what gossip is like. You get a load of it and your ear just grows. And you go, oh, no, yes. And, and you go on and the Lord says, don't. Don't be gossiping. Don't be talking about other people in a negative way, especially if they're not there right in front of you. If you have something to say, you should be able to say whatever you have to say with them there in your presence. And so these are the types of things that are yeast that work through the body. And also factions may spring up. And there are the doers and the do-nots. In this particular case, in the church of Thessalonica, there were people who were providing the food and going to the communion services and they, they would give food for other people and, and it was all good. And there were people who did nothing. They would show up just to eat and take advantage of what was there. And Paul was saying, no, don't do that. Well, the shame, what about it? Is it God's will that we feel shame when we've done wrong? It is. It is God's will. Now, I do want to make sure that we don't fall into this trap because these, the enemy, Satan, he's the accuser of the brethren. He could come along every day 
every hour, every minute, and convict you for something you've done wrong. And he's done it to me. I'm such a sinner. I should have studied more. I should have prayed more. I should have done this more. You know, just all these things I should have done more of. And I always say, yep, I should have. But then I go, but Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And, And so you don't want to fall into that pit because it's easy to do. Once you realize that you're a sinner, how do you get out of that? You don't. Christ takes us out of it. And so you have to focus on Christ and Him restoring you. In 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 14, it says, We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, and help the weak, and be patient with everyone. And, and, and if a man is lazy, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18, the rafters sag, his hands are idle, the house leaks. He's telling us, be busy, take care of your stuff, be a good witness to people who are out there and make sure you stick with truth don't water down the truth and these are the exhortations that he has given uh, to the church in Thessalonica now if you took those 23 things and you flipped them around as somebody who was idle in the church that is out of step with the rest of the platoon that's there this is what the person would be doing inside the church that needs correction that needs to feel ashamed Number one, they engage in sexual immorality. Number two, does not love other believers with brotherly love. Number three, disrespects those who are in leadership. Number four, does not live in peace with fellow believers. Number five, they are idle or out of step. Number six, they offer no encouragement to the timid. Number seven, they do not help the weak. They are impatient with everyone. They repay evil for evil. They are unkind. They lack joy. They never pray. Seldom, if ever, are they thankful. They put out the Spirit's fire. They treat prophecies with contempt. They accept everything and reject the good. They accept every kind of evil. They do not stand firm in the faith. They reject the teachings passed on to them by Paul and company. Like, for instance, what what subject is he dealing with in both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians? Dealing with the rapture, eschatology, the day of the Lord. And there's people who reject that. Now, amongst Christians, those things are really universal. Uh, The rapture, except for the full preterists, they reject that. And I would reject them. I think it's a heresy. But everybody believes there's a rapture. Everybody believes that there's a day of the Lord. It's just the timing. We all believe in that. And if, hey, you don't want to hold the same timing, that's okay. That's all right. We'll find out who's right in the end, and it will all be resolved. But he's saying, if you don't believe in the rapture, if you don't believe in the day of the Lord, have nothing to do with that particular person. Also, they hang out with brothers who are idle and do not live according to the teaching received from Paul. They seldom work. They they are a mooch, so to speak. You know that ancient word, mooch, remember that? And they do not earn what they eat, and they're tired of doing what is right. Another ancient word, gumption. When was the last time you heard the word gumption? My dad used to use that for us. He said, get some gumption about yourself. And you might think, what is that gump? For his gump, gumption, what, 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 what does that mean? What is it? it? It means be resourceful, get up and go, have a sense of, my dad used to say that too, get a sense about you, you know, practicality type of thing. And of course, that was only when I was 25 he was telling me that. But you know, really, when we were teenagers or preteens, he was telling us that, you know, like get up and get motivated and have some respect for yourself and, you know, plan your day ahead. And we're supposed to do that as believers. Paul is telling us 
through the second letter and the first letter to Thessalonians, have some gumption. That's what we need to walk away with. And then here's the blessing, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Paul, write this greeting, or I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He makes a point to comment on how he writes. Well, how does he write? We've been over this before, but it appears that he may have had an eye ailment of some kind and he couldn't see very well. And so his letters were big. His words were big. And that would make sense if Paul says, this is how I write. You know, and you go, who wrote this? A kindergartner? You know, the lettering that is there, but that's probably why he mentions it here. And he focuses on the peace and the grace, the peace that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the grace, God's unmerited favor. And that's what we're supposed to look at. So our application from this passage, this chapter here, pray for the gospel to be spread forth and be honored. Keep the commands Paul wrote about. Resist becoming idle or out of step. Be obedient to the Christian faith. When necessary, install a form of discipline to lead people into righteousness. And in the midst of trials, his exhortation, and he's desirous that you would have peace and grace. That's, that's what he wants to tell us. And so my prayer for you is that when you share your faith, hopefully you are with individuals who are out there, you're going to suffer persecution eventually if you're not suffering it yet. And when you do, just, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to go on to the next person. May the Lord give you wisdom when you open up your mouth. If you have to help somebody that is a sinner, Make sure that you're speaking the proper words in the proper frame, the proper context to lead them to where they need to go. We are all condemned. It is only by the grace of God that we are saved from condemnation through his mercy. And so we should be merciful to all those who we communicate with. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul, his message to us through the letter to the Thessalonians. We ask that you would help us to absorb this information, that we would also be obedient. And forgive us, Lord, when we fail, but help us to treat others as we would want to be treated. Help us to deliver wisdom to them and the proper words that we would want to hear ourselves if we were caught in a sin or we were just going the wrong way. We ask, Lord, for your help in this, and we know that we can be a blessing to others. And this is our goal, for your sake, in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. please stand.